Today, we start a new sermon series called The Wilderness. We were living in a pre-pandemic world and we will live in a post-pandemic world. But right now, we're sort of in the middle. And this reminds me of the wilderness, which is a key motif throughout the whole of the Bible. The uh, Israelites did live in Egypt and then eventually they live in Canaan, the promised land. But in between, they live for 40 years in the wilderness. Don't worry, I don't think MCO is gonna go on for 40 years. And then think of Jesus. He spent 40 days in the wilderness before his ministry began. And some of the early church leaders, they went into the desert to try and hear from God. They were known as the Desert Fathers. Personally, I'm less of a desert father and more of a dessert father. But if you think about the wilderness, it can be a tough place of trial. And maybe you feel like you're walking a wilderness path at the moment. Maybe you're facing financial hardships or stress about work. Maybe you're feeling like you're in a spiritually dry place. Or, or maybe you're worried about health of a loved one. You see, the wilderness, yes, it is a, a place of testing, but it's also a place of preparation for what is to come. And it's a place we can know God's provision, God's promises for us, a, a place where we can know God's protection and his presence. It's a place of blessing as well. And it's this aspect of the wilderness that we must hold on to, the sort of now of the kingdom of God and not just the not yet, that which is to come. Now, when you think of wilderness, I wonder what sort of landscape do you imagine? Perhaps wide open desert plains. Well, when the Israelites were in the desert, it did include that, but it also had in it mountainous regions. And mountains are important throughout the Bible. Actually, the story moves from Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac to a second mountain, Mount Sinai, and then back to Mount Moriah, which includes Golgotha, the place of Jesus's crucifixion. But it's this second mountain, Mount Sinai, that was important for the people of God in the wilderness. Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, was the place that they received that which was most important to them, the law or the Torah. Now, the story unfolds uh, actually really throughout the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch. Don't worry, we're not gonna read five books of the Bible right now. But let me sort of summarize the story before we look at its implications for you and for me in this period of time. Well, around the year 1300 BC, that's 1300 before Christ, not before COVID. So it's around three months after leaving the land of Egypt, the Israelites get to the desert of Sinai and they camp at the foot of the mountain. God's presence descends on the mountain in a thick cloud for six days. Then on the seventh day, God calls Moses up the mountain. 
Moses goes and, and takes some of his leaders with him, like Joshua, but they don't go all the way. Moses himself alone just makes the final ascent and speaks with God on top of the mountain. And Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 19, verses five and six, these words. He says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Then God gives Moses the details of the law. The law taught the Israelites how to live well with God and how to live well with each other. I mean, don't we all want that? And the law was essentially made up of three parts. First of all, there was the moral law. And central to this were the 10 commandments that God gives. Uh, you, you may know those 10 commandments. Have no other God other than the Lord. Don't make and uh, worship idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet or jealously long for that which your neighbor has. And these 10 commandments were written on either side of two stone tablets. They, they made up the sort of ethical part of the law. Then there was the religious law, stipulations as to how to worship the Lord. And this included instructions on how to make the tabernacle. This was a sort of portable temple tent and the Ark of the Covenant within it, where the presence of God would rest. And then there was the civil law, instructions on how to live well together and create a healthy functioning society. And the purpose of the law was to reflect God's holiness and glory, to help his people to, to live well to those standards and, and therefore live under his blessing and for them to then reflect that glory to the rest of the world so they may one day come and worship God as well. Now, what I find really interesting is this question. Why did God not wait until his people were in the promised land of Canaan to give them the law? Why did he give it to them whilst they're still in the wilderness? And what's more, he gives them the law at Sinai at the beginning of their time in the wilderness, just three months in to the 40-year period that they'd spend there. Why? Well, it's because God isn't just preparing us for that which is to come. In our case, the promised land of heaven. No, he's also equipping us to live godly lives to the full in the here and now. This is a message for you today. Now, at this point, you might say, well, Miles, this is all really interesting, but really, what has the Old Testament law given at Mount Sinai in the wilderness over 3,000 years ago got to do with me now in 2020? 
Well, the answer lies in how Mount Sinai links with two mountain moments in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. One of those moments was on the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Mount Moriah, also known as Mount Zion, around which Jerusalem was built. And there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gives the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. You can read it in Matthew chapters five to seven. In Galatians 3.24, it says that the law was our guardian until Christ came. And Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount by saying, look, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. His words magnify the law, showing us that God's standards are even higher than we thought. So for example, Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That was one of the 10 commandments, right? But he says, but I tell you, even if you look at somebody with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. I mean, think of it this way. St. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, I, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. The law is like an X-ray for our sinful hearts. And Jesus in his teaching takes that photograph of our X-ray and holds it up clearly for us to see. And Jesus summarized the 10 commandments really in, in just two. He says, love God, that summarizes the first four 10 commandments. And then he says, and love your neighbor, that summarizes the next six. And he says to those listening, those who love me obey my commands. Now at this point, you might be thinking a bit like the initial hearers of Jesus thought. You might be thinking, oh wow, thanks Jesus. I mean, we couldn't even live up to the standards of the law, but now you've just raised the bar? So how? How will we ever live a good life? And by the way, do you know it's pretty tough in the wilderness? Well, the good news is this. To fulfill the law meant that Jesus had to die on the cross for you and me. His death on the cross achieved that which neither we in our own strength nor the law could ever achieve. His death meant that we are now righteous and holy in the eyes of God Almighty. It's a free gift of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever been to London or maybe you've watched movies of London, but the underground, underground train network there is called the Tube. Now, it's not as modern nor as nice as the MRT. And when you're standing on the platform, there's this gap between the platform and where the train pulls in. So when you open the door, there's this recorded voice that says to you, mind the gap, mind the gap. They don't want you to fall in the gap. And if you think about it, the way that we live our lives, 
and God's standards. It's not so much mind the gap, but mind the, ca- mind the chasm, the huge gap. But the good news is this. Jesus has fulfilled the law because he has filled the gap. You now meet God's holy standards because of Jesus, his free gift of righteousness, won by his costly death on the cross. What amazing news. One of my heroes is a retired Anglican priest. His name is Hartmut Kopsch. He was born a German in Germany during World War II. And right at the end of the war, as the Russians were pouring into Germany from the east, he and his family fled for their lives. They walked for many days without food through the forest and they were trying to get to the British military line. They thought they might fare better with the Brits. And they got there and sure enough, the Brits gave them asylum and eventually helped them to settle in England. And Hartmut grew up and uh, lived in England. And he was not a Christian. In fact, he was a very strong atheist, but he was very intelligent and uh, became an academic teaching at university. And he told me the time that he'd just finished a, a, a small class with his students and they'd been talking about political science. And he'd said how, look, mankind is advancing in all aspects and we're getting close to being able to live perfectly as a species together. And the students were dismissed. They went out of his office. He closed the door and then something extraordinary happened in his office. There on the wall of his office before him, like a movie film being played in front of his eyes, he saw like a motion film of his life flashing before him and all the things that he had done wrong. And this film, this vision ended with a vision of Jesus hanging on the cross and Jesus looking at him with love in his eyes. Hartmut says he just immediately dropped to his knees in worship and repentance. And there and then in his office, Hartmut the atheist gave his life to Jesus and said, I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. He then became a priest. Well, I was talking to him just one-on-one privately years ago. I I was really struggling with forgiving myself for something in my past. And you know, forgiving yourself is often the hardest person to forgive. You might be watching this right now and you're really struggling to forgive yourself. Well, this is what Hartmut said to me and and hear this for you. He said, he said, Miles, he said, you must forgive yourself because if you don't, It's like you're trying to undermine the cross. And the death of Jesus is always enough. You are forgiven. That word, undermine, was first used after the Ottoman siege of Constantinople in the year 1453. The Ottomans couldn't get through the impenetrable walls of the city. So they began to dig an underground tunnel all the way up to the city walls. Then they tried to mine 
under the foundations to destabilize them, to try and bring the walls down. But it didn't work. And likewise, when we hold on to guilt, we might try and undermine the cross, but it doesn't work. The cross stands strong. The truth remains. You are forgiven. You can be set free from that unnecessary burden that you might be carrying at this time. You are righteous in the eyes of God. Jesus has filled the gap. Secondly, uh, I want to say that Jesus also empowers us by his Holy Spirit to live out our new holy status, even when we're walking through the wilderness. In uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that God would remove from us our hearts of stone and give us soft hearts of flesh. St. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. He says that our testimony, our testimony is written by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. In other words, the spirit changes our motives so that we now want to, we, we long to live in accordance with our new righteous status before God. Not, not to try to achieve it, that's free, but out of the overflow of love and thankfulness from our hearts. And he gives us the power to do so, growing the fruit of the spirit, the character of Christ in our lives. And the crucial thing to remember is that the power comes from the presence of God by his spirit. And this links to the second mountain in the New Testament. In Mark chapter nine, we read how after six days, on the seventh day, Jesus goes up a mountain as well. And, and he too takes with him some of his leaders, Peter, James, and John. And a cloud also descends on that mountain and yep, they hear the voice of God speaking and Jesus shines, he's transfigured. Moses even appears in a vision at the top of that mountain. And there's also a discussion about making tabernacles. And then there's chaos happening down at the foot of the mountain, just as there was at the foot of Mount Sinai. You see, there are eight parallels between the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark 9 and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And eight is the number of perfection. Mark 9 is the perfect mirror of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. But there is a difference. You see, Moses the mediator comes down from the mountain and the people then have to build the tabernacle and only then the presence of God may dwell amongst them. But Jesus, a greater mediator than Moses, he comes down with the disciples and there's no need to build a tabernacle. Why? Because Jesus is the tabernacle. He is the new temple. He is the son of God, God incarnate, the presence of God with us. And now his presence and his power dwells within you and me 
by his Holy Spirit, whom he has sent. That's what we celebrated last week at Pentecost. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, we read this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Moses has this beaming face. And uh, it's a bit like when we white people get sunburnt and our face gets really glowing. But that times a million. And what happens is he puts on a veil. Uh, and, and over time, that radiance fades. But then every time he goes to speak with God, he lifts the veil and he comes out radiant again and then puts down the veil. But now that you and I, now that we always have the presence of God in us by his spirit, St. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is the presence of God within us that gives us the power to live well according to God's ways, regardless of the wilderness that we are in. And even when we fall short, it is the cross of Jesus that is our assurance and that ensures that we remain righteous, in right standing with God. Indeed, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation for the Lord. Perhaps the most famous missionary to China of all time was Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor knew moments of amazing victory, but he also knew long periods of real wilderness. And of those times living in the wilderness, Hudson Taylor said these words. He said, when I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust. And that's what faith is. Faith is simply trust. And you might be going through a wilderness season right now and, and you think, yeah, that's me. I, I can't even pray, I'm so desperate. Well, you can still trust. And even if you feel that your faith is, is just as small as a mustard seed, and you might even think, well, you know, I don't have any faith. Let me tell you, the very fact that you're watching this means that you have a grain of faith. Well, scripture tells us that even if our faith is as small as a mustard seed, it is powerful and it is enough. So what we're going to do right now is we're gonna ask the Spirit of God, the presence and power of God to fill our hearts again afresh. You might wanna just put your hands out in front of you to say, yeah, Lord, I, I, I don't make myself righteous. I, I bring nothing. 
but I, I want to receive all that you have for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've died on the cross for me. And then just simply echo this prayer in your heart right now. Come, Holy Spirit.